Welcome to the SOSV Climate Tech Summit podcast series. I am the AI voice of Ben Joff, a partner at SOSV and co-curator of the summit. In this episode, two analysts and an analyst turned VC discuss the need for innovative solutions in sectors such as renewable power, transportation, and hard to abate industries. They also discuss the potential for growth in climate tech and the importance of research and funding in driving progress. They highlight emerging segments such as sustainable mining, geothermal energy, and energy storage. Overall, they emphasize the ongoing need for climate solutions and the opportunities for career growth in the field. This conversation is moderated by Sierra Peterson, founding partner at Voyager VC. Thank you. We are delighted to be here. So SOSV asked us to convene today because myself, Mark, and Nat have all spent some time in part of our careers uh, as analysts, that is, thinking about systemic change in terms of decarbonization in the climate system itself and offering our systemic views on promising trajectories, alarming trajectories, and overall movements within the system that are particularly interesting for anybody building a company, anyone policymaking, anyone navigating the overall landscape of climate tech. And Nat, what are the bellwethers that you're paying attention to right now? So, you know, there, there's there's some sort of like Gaussian distribution memes that you can see about like what people do at the very, you know, at, as a very novice and as a very expert in thinking about what's happening. When you're very early on, you tend to look at compound growth rates. And when you're in the middle, you tend to look at all kinds of complex, much more sort of differentially calculated ways of thinking about rates of change. And then when you get back to the far end again, you start talking about compound growth rates again. So <laughs> I'm sort of at that point. I'm tending to watch the things that are growing fast and durably uh, and generally much faster than baseline. So in that case, I actually still do spend a lot of time thinking about the growth rates of wind and solar tech in a mature way. In the in, Early on, you watch them because they were growing fast. Now I watch them because they are the things that are going to start to erode incumbency. So we're, we're very near the point where uh, in, in certain markets, all growth has been coming from renewable power for a while. And then we're very close to the moment where in aggregate, we're going to find that case. And that means that like the system that we see as a whole in the power sector is just changing markedly. Transportation is already there. Uh, we're at a point where EVs are the only growth in transport. But I'm trying to sort of detect where those are going to come up again in sectors that are hard to abate, that are difficult to address, and that are very, very big and incumbent in their own way. So the exciting thing for me, let's say, is going to be to watch where those rates of change begin happening in things like sustainable fuels or aviation, mm -hmm. in terms of decarbonizing cement and industrial heat, uh, in terms of looking at sectors like steel, aluminum, and also finally substitution rates for these incumbent systems that are very well established for a good reason. That I think is super nascent, something I'm sort of looking for, looking for when they emerge. But when are we going to see sort of massive substitutions on a material level, not just the sort of electrons level that are going to get us towards decarbonization? And we're not really there yet, but the important thing is to keep an eye on where and when and how they might show up. Mm -hmm. Concur. Mark, what about you? What are you tracking? Man, that that looking for, looking for statement. I, Matt, I like that one. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> You're welcome. That's good stuff. I mean, so so at CTVC, like we're we're kind of known for tracking funding, right? Um, so in tracking funding, that's kind of the base level of how you how I sort of look at this sector. So the first step is to look if there's 
money going into it, right? And so after, over the past three years, you know, or since 2020, there's been 117 billion that's gone in, in venture capital into quote unquote climate tech. Um, that all that you know, that's across 2,500 companies and 3.3 k uh, deals. That kind of sounds like a lot, but it also sounds like nothing. Um, and when you when you put it in the grand scheme of things, of you know how much gets invested across other sectors, but also how much you know that is supposed to be needed for true you know decarbonization of the economy. Um, so it's just a start, but like everything has to you know follow a start. And so what we're looking for is those seedlings, those saplings, to start to grow. And so what we do um, is we're looking in all these early stage sectors for you know proof of life. Um, there's a lot of announcements, you know, that go into into sectors like this, right? A lot of press releases. But how do you cut through the noise? You know, you know, that's a such a trite statement. But uh, how do you cut through the noise to look at things like actual installations of technology? Because everything in decarbonization or climate tech has to end up in the real world, right? And so you look at installations. So whether there's projects, whether there's a pilot or demo, you look at factories that are being built, ground being broken. Um, partnerships between big companies, small companies, things like that. And finally, contracts, you know, are people buying the stuff that's getting built, right? Is there a, is somebody going to buy your green steel? Is somebody going to buy your, your low carbon fuel, things like that. And so I think I'll say it again, signs of life, you know, past funding is what we're looking at most. Yeah, I concur. I mean, I think what we're really tracking is the to your point that moment of potentially changing the physics uh, and the chemistry of the climate system of the you know foundations of the global economy um that is the most interesting aspect for voyager even though we are quite early uh and where we invest to nat's point too i mean i, I think the, <laughs> the rates of change excuse me <laughs> is it a landline it is a landline. I'm at my wow. parents' house right now. It's the past calling. Um, <laughs> we're looking towards the future. Uh, anyway, in terms of you know rate, true rates of change, um, you know I think the the fact of all growth um, in uh, power generation uh, being renewable that the implications of that cannot be understated, and you know the electrification of light duty transportation similarly powerful both you know unto itself in terms of decarbonizing mobility but also in what it implies for new ways of moving electricity new ways of selling distributing um purchasing electricity too i mean one of the things that we're looking at to provide an example there uh one of our early stage companies from voyagers a company called powerline uh is you know enabling electric vehicles to collectively serve uh, as mobile power plants with the understanding and recognition that power distribution capacity on wheels uh, by 2030 is on track to outstrip the entire generating capacity of the United States. I mean, that is a ton of power and people haven't really grasped the implications of that sort of systems level change from infrastructure up. That's something I'm particularly excited about. So, you know, in terms of this bright new future uh, that we are in the midst of uh, helping to create uh, for a decarbonized um, foundation of the global economy, if you were thinking about building a business today and really getting started in climate tech and decarbonization today, where would you think about building a career, both of you? I'm laughing because I'm not allowed to say like a research business, am I, Mark? <laughs> 
analytics. <laughs> analytics. But what I what I would say is, I'll let my, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here and say that Mark is going to say something about a research business. Um, I'm going to I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that I would be trying to build something in the kind of hard to solve problems of the capital stack, which mm. is frankly a very ambitious thing to be stating because at this point a lot of the hard to solve problems the numbers start with a b and they eventually grow towards having a t mm -hmm. but i think that that we're going to find this is from conversations i've been having actually in the last couple of weeks here in asia a sense that like the the first to tenth of a kind solutions to solving in a programmatic way how you deploy a lot of new technology is not yet there. It needs to be there. To some extent, these things kind of work on consensus and agreement to a very real degree. People decide, we've now decided that we're going to go do this. This is a technology to do. But the models at the financial level are not yet there in terms of getting people comfortable with a structure, with a set of terms, with a set of conditions to deploy something that hasn't been built, but that you hope achieves the same sort of scale that electrochemical storage batteries now have. And doing that requires a bit of invention and creativity. It requires some risk. It requires quite a lot of savvy and it requires uh, corralling a whole bunch of counterparties together. And in one sense, that requires a lot of innovation, but in another, it's just a very old fashioned kind of bit of financial innovation towards a specific goal. So that's where I would go. Mark, Alex. I don't know. I'm I'm outed because that is that is basically my answer. But but there's a reason behind it. So my answer is like, what would you start? I mean, I'm starting a, a research business, right? Like, um, it's it's going. Um, but the reason for that is because you realize kind of what you like and what you what you hope you're good at, um, and what interests you, right? And so like, I thought as an analyst back in the day, you know, that the trajectory had to be you know, go be a project developer, go be an investor, you know, something like that. Um, but then there came this realization that, you know what? No, I, I like research. Um, I like finding out new stuff and I like the research business as a business. And so for me, like for me, like it made a lot of sense to stay in this business. Um, but also, you know, as I identified gaps in this market, in the research market that could be filled, it made a lot of sense to, to stay in and build a career, you know, around, around research. And so like what I would say to anybody, you know, listening or, or, or watching is think about that hard, like very, you know, in detail uh, about what you like, right? Think about what you like, what you're good at and what interests you and just follow that because you might think like, oh, I've got to go take all these courses or I've got to go learn to code or I've got to go, you know, get all these certifications, but it might be a step closer than you think to get involved in, in climate. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think this, you know, the, the world of possibility is not just lawyer, doctor, project developer. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I think there's like a misconception there. And that's something that we actually uh, at Voyager recently published a letter on regarding the true applicability uh, of all types of professional experience in systemic decarbonization. Uh, it's, you know, certainly any business uh, that will grow to sufficient scale 
will need people who understand how to build basic businesses, you know, really who are experienced in the foundations of business building. It's not just material science or project development. It is the entire spectrum of professional experience that comes to bear uh, in building the future of the economy. Uh, and that was something that we've, I think it sometimes gets overlooked in the overall narrative where we focus really on the novel technologies that are particularly exciting. Um, and there is room uh, and truly an invitation for everybody here. Um, and it, you know, as also as we point out in our overall letter, you are not too early, neither are you too late. Uh, and one thing that we've seen uh, in enduring interest among investors, you know, who are professionals in thinking through well, what are going to be the, the foundations and the durable foundations of the financial system of the economy, um, valuations have remained high in climate tech. Uh, there is a sense of momentum that is certainly not held up across the larger private capital markets. Um, and this is a growth industry uh, that is actively hiring across all types of professional experience. So I, I'm interested, you know, along those lines, why do you think climate tech has had staying power uh, given the overall market downturn in private capital markets primarily? For me, for me, there's an article that comes to mind. So years ago, it's just a headline. I don't remember where it's from, but it said, uh, when everybody's done with, so with social media, can someone please turn the light off? You know, the, the headline was something like that. You know, in that a lot of these things have cycles, you know, that we're like so hyped about them, then we get bored as a society, right? And we move on to the next thing, right? But for me, climate, it's not going anywhere, right? There's, there's going to be more of a need and more of a need and more of a need until we solve this thing. That's, that's kind of thing one. Thing two is that there's all this sort of undercurrent or swell of support for climate, be it, um, in public funding through the IRA or the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, or that it's kind of a, an arms race to match that in other countries or jurisdictions, right? Like EU is putting in policy in place to sort of compete with the IRA. Um, so is you know other countries in Asia, like China. Um, they're trying to be leaders in climate, right? Because that is the the thing that's not going away and is going to need to be is going to be around for a while. And so, you know, it could be a, a several of those things that are keeping valuations high um the the sense that it's not going anywhere but it could also be that it's still new um and so there hasn't been a chance to to sort of get bored with any of this stuff quite yet um and so it could be early days Nat, your thoughts mm -hmm. so uh i i wrote a piece recently looking back as one does on a on a note from the the deputy governor of the reserve bank of australia in 2019 and he was writing about he was writing those. about <laughs> how you think about climate change from a monetary perspective. And he said that, you know, the way that typically institutions have looked at these, the financial institutions, fiduciaries have looked at, at this stuff is from a lens of weather and that any weather related event is something that you as a sort of ride through from a monetary policy perspective. But climate is different and that like you can't ride through these things because they sort of, they, they have a, they're elongated beyond the timeline of any kind of monetary cycle or monetary mm -hmm. set of impacts. And I think that there's something sort of similar in play here, which is that the sort of the, the macro prudential trend to be smart about climate is not going to go away. And I think all of capital is sort of beginning to reorient around that. I do think that it is a beneficiary as well 
of a kind of retrenching against, how shall I say it? Let's say like minor solutions that solve the technology's problem. So uh, I'm thinking of uh, no, no shade, but like an NFT is an example of something that solved Web 3's problem of going to market but didn't necessarily solve any other really big problems. Mm -hmm. Whereas in climate, we're talking about solving fundamental things and in the process, creating businesses, goods, services that have intrinsic value and have products that are sold. And this is one thing that I, th I think the three of us on this call know and inhabit very well, but a lot of the other people don't is that it's more than selling enterprise software to large consumers. Mm. <laughs> it is actually selling things that you, in the energetic sense, are the ability to do work in the form of a fuel or electrons. Mm -hmm. But there are also other products. There are also services that materially improve doing your business. And I don't think that any of those things are going to go away. Like we're through the point of sort of being able on, a, on an intracycle way of looking through or looking past what's going on in climate. And it's going to just have to be macro at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely concur. I mean, you know, we see climate as, you know, the investment in the durable production uh, across, you know, the economy, this idea of securing sources of fuel for manufacturing, securing food, proteins, access to heat, uh, to keep people warm, uh, in the winters and cool their homes in the summers. This, these are not negotiable. <laughs> these are the foundations of the global economy. And they are, you know, particularly in Europe, recently overlaid with a geopolitical urgency uh, that has both manifested itself in price spikes for electricity, one, uh, and in a recognition of, oh, the securing uh, the aspect of production across you know, the foundation of the economy for us is newly geopolitically important. That is something that we've been, you know, heartened by. Um, and we think that we'll certainly continue. Uh, and Nat, this is not necessarily, as you, you know, you so well put, uh, technology seeking its own solution set. <laughs> this is how we live. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's good. In terms of uh, emerging segments of the climate tech economy, do you have any favorites that have recently emerged, Mark? You spoke about things being new. Um, and, you know, certainly there was uh, the wave of clean tech 1.0 uh, that guided quite a bit of investment uh, into energy, solar, wind, and the, you know the first wave of storage. Um, and now we are in uh, you know a second wave of capital excitement uh, regarding climate tech. What are you particularly excited about? I'll keep this really short uh, for sake of time, but there's a few things. One is really kind of a refocusing, right? It may, maybe not some of these things aren't quite new. But it's a refocus, one on sustainable mining, right, and critical minerals. We're going to need a lot of them. Uh, some of the methods, you know, a lot of the methods for getting them out of the ground aren't necessarily new. There are a lot of new methods. Um, but the focus on sustainable mining is a big one. The second one for me, you know, it's no surprise to Nat, of, of course, is, is geothermal. I mm -hmm. thought forever that new geothermal was sort of an intractable problem, an unsolvable problem that wouldn't be solved. I have changed my tune on that um, in the past few weeks, actually. Um, and I think a lot of like industrial heat pumps, uh, and those types of things are deserving, uh, of the, of the refocus they're getting right now. Matt, what's top of mind? I'm really excited about, uh, getting ourselves to a world of 
reasonably good energy density, zero thermal runway, 100% charge and discharge batteries with really earth abundant metals in them that don't have problematic or constrained supply chains. And I'm really looking forward to the Cambrian explosion, not of the hardware so much, but of what people do with it. Mm. And I think that that's, that's something that we'll see coming as these things es escape the lab to the fab and then to, uh, to applications for motive power, for stationary power. But I, I sort of look forward to seeing these enter into a really wide range, a dispersed range of applications both in geography and in, in, in market, in market need. And I think that's going to be exciting. And also to think about what people will build on top of these as businesses, not just on the, on, on the, the hardware and the metal itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am very much on the bandwagon of the promise of ubiquitous energy storage. It is so exciting. Uh, and with that, we are going to wrap up. We have lots to talk about, certainly. Uh, the future is exciting given the technologies that we are working with today. Nat, Mark, thank you so much uh, for sharing your wisdom with us this morning. Uh, and onward we go. Thanks again. Thanks, Sierra. Thanks, Sierra.